just a few weeks away from starting a new series. And uh, so we just have just two texts to deal with from chapter 16, today's, and then next week's. And we'll be done 1 Corinthians, but let's be reminded of something that we love to talk about on a regular basis, which is not that we have gotten through the text, but that somehow by the grace of God and by the power of his spirit, that that text has gotten through us. And so I'm just going to ask you a quick question. Has anybody stopped you recently and said, hey, have you been reading 1 Corinthians lately? Because I just... I, I caught you in a conversation the other day, and I could just tell by the way that you were patient and kind and the way that you held no record of wrongs, just the way that you were acting. I can just tell that that 1 Corinthians 13 was just, just coming out of you. And so I just need to ask, have you been reading 1 Corinthians lately? Has anybody stopped you and just said, you know, like in this world where there seems to be an increased awareness and a desire for the sexually immoral, just the way that you were able to deal with that and confront that with both grace, but yet with some real, like some strength. Have you been in 1 Corinthians 5 lately? Has anybody had that? You know, you're in one of those moments where you're dealing with the, 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 the implications that Jesus Christ has died and has been raised again and therefore we have a hope that is strong and secure and someone just said to you, wow, it just, it's the way that you're responding to these circumstances, you seem to have a hope that is deep and, and anybody, anybody have that? Yeah, I, I wonder sometimes, like, why don't we? Why, why don't people like get that from us sometimes. Now, one of the reasons could genuinely be, like legitimately be, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cast like guilt where, 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 or shame where guilt or shame don't belong. I'm, I'm asking a question. Um, maybe it's because like the work that God does in us is really slow. And by the way, it is. At times it is very slow. So I, I, I can walk by my, my grass and I can just, if I'm not paying attention, I don't just go, oh yeah, look at that grow. That is just growing like crazy. It usually is, I'm gone for a couple of days and I'm not really paying attention. Then I come back, I'm like, wow, I should really mow my yard. And it's not like I saw it grow. It was just growing. But there should be a sign somewhere. And I want us to feel that. As we get ready to... To, to put away, in a sense, 1 Corinthians and then open up, the next series is going to be on the book of Acts. We're going to be walking through the book of Acts and what the early church went through and what the early church cared about. And I, I hope that by the time we're done Luke's recording of the early, or the early history of the church, that somehow we can resemble them by the strength of the Spirit and by the power of the Spirit that we'll be able to look like them who look so much like Jesus so that somehow this happens, because my, my wife can tell, uh, there's one, a place that I love to eat lunch in Tulsa, and whenever I go with a particular friend, Andrea always says, hey, do not let him get into the roasted garlic, because I love roasted garlic. I have had, like, bowls of it before. And I come home, and my wife is like, uh, seriously, wow, like, you couldn't tell that was not a good decision. And I'm like, no, I mean, it just looks so good. And she says to me, it's just coming out of every pore in your body, and I don't like to be around you. So, unlike roasted garlic in a relationship, the Bible should, in a, uh, ho hopefully, to, to those people who want that, it should be attractive. 
And then to those people who maybe are, are confused, it can actually be uh, clarifying. And then, by the way, the Bible sometimes is just continually not very attractive to some people. So I'm not just saying that, wow, every time it happens, we're just going to become this winsome people. No, I mean, salt stings sometimes, and light can be, just be too much sometimes. But I pray that 1 Corinthians somehow has gotten a hold of you. I really would even challenge you that as we end this, this book over the next week or so, that you spend some time just looking at the book of Acts, or the book of First Corinthians, sorry, book of First Corinthians, and just go through it, through the different chapters, chapters one and two and three and four, and take a look at some of the teachings that it gives and say, am I seeing this in me? Are these things beginning to impact my life? Is there a change that is taking place? I'm not talking about you manipulating a change. I'm talking about like a genuine change that is happening because there really should be. There really should be in us. So this morning, we're going to be jumping into chapter 16, and we've just got these four verses, these four small verses. And I just thought in light of just how it's so different than chapter 15, and then we get into next week where Paul's kind of wrapping stuff up, thought it would be good to deal with these four verses and the topic that they introduce, which is the topic of giving, and that we would do it in such a way that we could look at it from more of a biblical perspective than just these four small verses. And so what we're going to be doing is looking at what the Apostle Paul and what the early church and then what the, what, the, what the faith community, so even in the Old Testament, right, the Jewish people, how did they look at giving and how was giving a very natural part of the Christian life? If you have your bulletin, okay, just if you want to just take a look at a couple of things. One, it's just good to have an update occasionally. So at the beginning of every month, we're going to have an update on our campaign, and when you look at those numbers, you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. This is a very generous church. So I'm not preaching on giving because, wow, we need a whole lot more there. No, I mean, more will continue to come in, but wow, God has proven himself to be so kind and Sunnybrook continues to be a church that responds to the need that exists. If you go on the front section there, it's gotten one of the bottom corners where our giving is at and giving's healthy. So why are we teaching on giving? To make it clear, like we don't preach on giving because there's a need like this. We, we actually, on, on a regular basis, in terms of how it even fits into our text today, we actually teach on giving like we would teach on any biblical idea because th there may or may not be needs that exist out there, but there's always a need in here. There's always a need in here. For us to understand and to have an integrated faith. See, what concerns me about 1 Corinthians not getting through to us, whatever the passage might be, is that somehow we're coming to church and we're, we're, we're can you still taste it? I can still taste it. The cup, I can still taste the bread. And, and somehow that I will take communion and I will not fully grasp or fully respond that we have just spent time with the Lord around the table and that we are the body of Christ, I live a little bit of a disconnected life. And so I can come and hear a great sermon, Drew preached a great sermon on 1 Corinthians 13 on love and I can somehow go home and not be loving in my marriage or in my relationships. 
There's a disconnect there. I can, I can somehow hear a great message that Justin preached on the resurrection and the hope that we have in the resurrection, and yet it really didn't get through to me. I'm, I'm living somewhat a disconnected and not integrated life. And so giving is about like an integrated life. Giving is about understanding who God is and what God has done, his very, his very nature. It's not because, hey, we've got a building plan coming up. And it's not, hey, we've got some needs that exist. So therefore, no, it's we have a God who has made us in his image, who is incredibly generous. Therefore, we should be generous people. We have a God that is given to us just so abundantly. And we have a God that can actually be trusted. Therefore, you and I can be the people of God that can reflect his image. And it's that reflection that ultimately matters. So the Apostle Paul ties this concept of giving very naturally into his book. It's not like, oh yeah, by the way, one more topic. Take a look at verse 58 of chapter 15. I want to begin like in the previous chapter. So 1558. And look what the Apostle Paul does. He points out to the Corinthian people um, that what he is teaching on actually comes from a, a fundamental understanding of the nature and the purposes of God. So in 58, in light of the resurrection, in light of what God has, has promised us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul says, therefore, be my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So I want you to remember that when you think about what you're doing, when I th you think about how you spend your time or how you spend your resources, I mean, it's a pretty regular thing for all of us that when we're in that process, and right now I don't just mean money, but when you're giving, you just have to stop and go, is this making a difference? Like, am I spinning my wheels? Am I wasting my time in this relationship? Am I wasting my time in this vocation? Am I wasting my time in this marriage? Am I wasting my time when I try to give some? Am I wasting my money when I give it to somebody? Because I, I pretty much know where they're, gonna, where they're gonna spend it. And I'm wasting my time. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know that in light of the power of the resurrection, in light of the power of what God is doing, I want you to be steadfast. I want you to be immovable. I want you to be always abounding in the Lord's work, knowing that it's never in vain. Never in vain. We have um, become such calculating people. And, and by the way, there's always a wisdom that's necessary. Whenever we spend time or money or our efforts, I get it. There should, be a, there should always be a wisdom. I think we move past wisdom to almost trying to figure out the, the, the exact way in which this is going to be spent. The exact way in which my time or my efforts or my money is going to be spent. And if it's not, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that, so I'm going to hold on to it. And Paul is asking in 1 Corinthians 15, more of a way of life. I want you to trust that the work that you do in the Lord, you may not fully understand. You may not fully see exactly how it all plays out. Much like a death, then a resurrection. I had no idea this was happening. I had no idea this was going to create this. And so the Apostle Paul is calling them to trust the Lord in everything that they are doing. And then he begins in chapter 16. And now, concerning the collection for the saints. 
as I directed the churches of Galatia. So those, that would be a province in southern Turkey. So you have the city of Corinth, which would be in now what is now modern-day Greece. And then not far away from that, you have a number of churches that Paul established in southern Turkey, neither of those locations being close to where the church began, which is in the city of Jerusalem. And it seems like wherever Paul went, what he helped people realize is, hey, we're not the only Christians. Like we're not the only saints, which just means the holy ones, the called, like we're not the only ones. I just want you to know you have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. Um, If you look down along this bottom row of these blue banners, Ghana and Haiti and Japan and Mexico and Nicaragua, right? You've got um, Papua New Guinea and Poland and Uganda. We have a team right now that's actually in Uganda. And in part because there is a need there missionally, but there's also a group of people there, the church, that we're wanting to help and establish. We're about to send two families, one to Poland and one to Japan. Why? Because there is a need for the church to continue to grow there. There are saints that need to be encouraged, and there are lost people that need to hear the gospel. And so we're not the only ones. And so the Apostle Paul is making clear, hey, just like I did in Galatia when I was there, it's nothing new, just like I did when I was with you, he actually says, what I, what I asked Christians to do is on the first day of every week when they would gather together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, we don't know exactly why that is. Some, some people believe that the reason why Paul didn't want to, there to be a collection when he was there was because he just knew how intimidating it can be. Hey, how much did you give today? You know, I'm watching, right? Okay, how much did you give today? And if you knew that I was watching, some of you would be like, are you serious? And others of you would be like, well, I want, I want Jim to kind of know that I, I'm really committed to this. I want Jim to know. And so some people believe that the Apostle Paul was like, hey, I need you to get that it's not about me knowing. It's not about me being involved. It's not about me like intimately involved in that. This is something that I want you to be intentional about. This is something. Giving should come in all areas of our lives. This is about collecting for the saints in Jerusalem, but giving in all area of our lives should come naturally. I'm not saying it doesn't need to have some work attached to it, but it should come naturally from our reflection upon what God has done for us and who we are. Because, did you sing this? We are the sons, we are the daughters of God. And so often we go, yeah, look at all the stuff we get. I love being a son and daughter of God. Look at all the stuff that we get. But, but a very real implication of that song is if we are the sons and the daughters of God who've been given a tremendous amount then we are the sons and the daughters of God who are expected to give a tremendous amount right so Paul says like this is what I do when I'm in Galatia I let them know there are other believers and when there are needs for other believers I'll be coming back because we're going to take care of them and he's saying to the Corinthian people it's like I told you every week when the week starts you collect you make sure that you have that because there are needs for other believers in other parts of the world. So he says in verse 3, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, then they will accompany me. We're going to help those people in Jerusalem who have a tremendous name. And we're just going to stop and reflect on the fact that we're not alone, that we're not the only Christians here, and that there are brothers and sisters that are in need, and we're going to take care of them. 
So it's a rather simple text, right? It's not that complicated. And so we really thought that it would be good for us to then think, so what does, how do we have an integrated view? Since Paul seems to assume just four small verses, he talks more about it in 2 Corinthians, what, what, is a, what is a Christian's view of giving, and particularly planned giving? And so what I want to do is just spend the last bit of our time just running through, if you can look on the bulletin, you can see it, 15 reasons why planned, intentional giving should be a part of the Christian life. I think a few of these might come as a little bit of a surprise to you, um, because when it comes to things that matter most, like money and faith, when it comes to things that, that matter the most to us, um, we, we usually get like weird ideas about them. And so the Bible actually speaks very clearly, very plainly about how we should look at giving. And so we're going to be looking through a number of these. Hopefully the text will be long enough on the board that you can write them down and go back and look at them later. Number one, uh, one of the biggest reasons why we should consider planned giving, I think this comes straight from the life of the Apostle Paul, is because giving feels good. And feeling good is not bad. I know a lot of Christian people that anything that feels good must be bad. No, no, no. Feeling good is good. Now, now here's the problem, is that if all that you do is so that you can always feel good, well, then that becomes a problem. And if you want to feel good at the expense of things like faithfulness, if you want to feel good at the expense of things like self-control, if you want to feel good in a way that is just unbiblical or ungodly, well, then that's the problem. But to do those things which God has designed us to do and to then feel good about doing them is actually the way God made the system. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 actually says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. We most of all know that verse. God loves a cheerful giver. So I, just to remind you, like God isn't in heaven going, oh man, if I could just get Jim's money, everything would be better. How do I get Jim's money? Like, God doesn't need my money. I would even argue like the problems in the world that are needed. One of my favorite places to go is down on our site in Mexico. And I love to be reminded like this isn't a financial problem. If someone were to just give us a million dollars and we were to go down to that site in Mexico, it wouldn't fix the problem. Wouldn't all of a sudden make everybody more spiritual or more like Jesus. It may actually complicate the situation. See, so God says, listen, what I'm asking you to do is to recognize the need and then respond to the need and to do so with joy. So one of the reasons why I give and hopefully one of the reasons why you give as well is because giving actually feels good. When we stop and reflect upon the fact that somehow God has placed me in this situation to respond to this particular need. So by the way, when I say giving, the whole morning, I really don't mean just when the plate goes by. I want you to think about like how you tip. I want to think about like how you find about needs that exist in people around you, maybe friends, maybe family, maybe strangers. I want you to think about just not this room, but wherever you are. So when I'm talking about giving, one aspect of it might be tithes and offerings, things that we collect here regularly. But one thing I love about this church and what I love about the Bible is the Bible seems to talk that all of these things are more of an integrated whole than one or the other. And giving 
Giving to the needs of the saints, giving to the kingdom work, giving to the poor, giving to whatever. Like it should feel good in you. And by the way, if it doesn't feel good, then I would recommend that you kind of think through the process and ask, why doesn't it feel good? Is it because I really don't care about the needs of those people around me? Is it because I really don't have an interest in kingdom issues? Kingdom things, they don't really mean that much to me. But when you give to things that you love, it should very naturally help you feel good. You know, it's, it's important for us to reflect upon this, this principle of, of, of our, our hearts and our minds being more prepared and more conformed because that's one of the reasons why God gives us the discipline or the exercise of giving is to reshape us into his image, to reshape us into people who are just like him. So giving feels good. Where do we get that idea from? I think God gave us that idea. So can I just ask you a simple question? When you think about God's greatest gift to us, Jesus, right? How do you think about how God gave Jesus to us? First of all, I don't know if I think about it a lot. I don't know if I think about like God's attitude about that. But, but I think sometimes I, I may be guilty if I really just stop and go, man, what? I think some Christians can believe like God went, fine, I'll send my son, my only son that I love so much because you're such a mess. But I hope you're happy. Like, I hope you're happy that I have to send my son that I love to die for you. Like, I'll do it. Does God send Jesus, think about this, cheerfully? I would argue he does. I would argue strongly that God does not give reluctantly. But because of God's love, the Bible describes him as abounding in love. Like surprising in love. So God looks down and sees our need. There was a, one line in one of our songs that said, and God proved through the cross that he was on our side. I don't know if you ever thought through what that means theologically. It means that God looked down at the mess that you and I were in and instead of holding back the one thing we needed, which was him, he gave himself. And what is God's posture towards giving to us? And I think it's one of joy. I think it's one of like kindness. He doesn't, he doesn't give reluctantly. See, do you know that totally changes your view of God? Because I think a lot of people think God sent his son and is kind of mad at us for having to do that. No, that totally undoes the character and the nature of God's gift. God looks at us and he loves us so much. God looks at us and he wants restoration with us so much that he gives his only son. He doesn't do it with a tight fist. Hopefully that changes how you see the cross and how you see God. And then very naturally, how you see your opportunity to give back. Number two, another big reason why we should be giving is because giving goes to Jesus. <laughs> One of the reasons why I, I get to like be free from always calculating exactly where it's gonna go and is it worth it and what's gonna happen to it. And I don't know if it's the best way to spend my money or to give my money. Notice what I say, my money, is that I have to just stop and remember actually all of this ends up in Jesus' lap. That whenever I give anything, it ends up with him. And that frees me from always calculating and always trying to overestimate and overworry and overjudge exactly how all these things are taking place. 
In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a very interesting parable where he describes people who are in tremendous need. They don't have water and they don't have clothing and they don't have food. And Jesus says that at the judgment day, there will be a great blessing for those people who give things like clothing and water and food, who visit those people in prison. And Jesus says there's going to be a great reward for them who cared for those around them because it's like they were giving to him. Verse 40 of Matthew 25 says this, and the king will answer them because they're like, yeah, I don't ever remember taking care of you, Jesus. Like, I don't remember ever giving you anything. The king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I just want you to remember that, that the gifts that we give, the opportunities that we have to give of ourselves really don't end. One of the reasons why verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, it's not in vain. It's because I've given some things to some people. And it looks like it was just a waste. And Jesus goes, yeah, but you forgot about me. Well, yeah, yeah, Jesus, but except for you, it was a waste, right? You see, it wasn't a waste. You know why I gave? It was because I knew ultimately where it would end up. So the ultimate reason why we give anything for anybody for any reason is because we actually are doing it for Jesus himself. Number three, we give very intentionally in a planned way with joy because nothing really belongs to us. Now, I know we say like nothing belongs to us and we even have little sayings like I brought nothing into the world, I can take nothing out of the world, but let's be honest, we act as though it all belongs to us. I'm going to assume that your bank account has your name on it and 53 passcodes that have to be changed every other day, right? So obviously it's yours. We, we, we pretend it's not ours. We love to say it's the Lord's, and then we act as though it's ours. But the Bible teaches it really is God's. Like everything that I have is, is from him. Everything I have is a gift from him. And, and when we begin to act like that, we begin to think about that. Imagine if I were to even say to you, um, we take the new richest man in the world, the owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, and when we ask, can you imagine if you could be in charge of giving away his money? How many of you would go, that'd be fun? billion. Man, I could have fun giving away that. Because why? Because it's not mine. Oh, and yours is? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it really does. And, And I get it. It does. It feels like it is. When we stop and reflect that it's really not about the amount, when we really do reflect that everything that I have, even the gifts that I have to make the wealth that I have, is really a gift from God. There's a great text that's actually found not in 1 Corinthians, but in 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, reaching back into Israel's history in the Old Testament. The people of Israel would gather together and they would sing this kind of a praise to God. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as as head above all. Now all of a sudden, my little kingdom seems kind of small. And it doesn't even really seem like I'm the king. I'm more of of a temporary steward, which is how the Bible describes it. 
And now all of a sudden, I get a deeper and a more real perspective is that nothing really belongs to me. Nothing really belongs to us. That's why we can bring nothing into the world and we can take nothing out with us. That is why we can be free to give to those in need and to opportunities that we have or to just demonstrate the the crazy, abundant generosity of our good God who now lives in us. Because we genuinely, we don't use it as just some kind of a quick statement. We live and act as though everything that we have is something that was given to us and and something that we are going to have an opportunity, I use kind of an interesting word, to leverage for God's glory and his kingdom purposes. I, I, I just think that as many of us as Christians who've kind of grown up in the church, like we know that that's true. We don't act as though we know that that's true. And I need to be reminded of that. So planned giving helps me understand it doesn't belong to me. Number four, the truth that giving is better than getting. Do you believe that? That giving is better? And I know Jesus said it, but do you believe that? That giving is better than getting. Now, here's one of the things I find interesting. Is that verse is actually found in Acts chapter 20. We'll look at it in a moment. Acts chapter 20, verse 45. The, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those are the words of Jesus. And those are the words of Jesus that we don't find anywhere in the Gospels. We just see it here when the Apostle Paul is teaching the church at Ephesus, the leaders at Ephesus. He's teaching them, are you ready for this? About the way that he has lived his life. See, he's not just saying, hey, Jesus has a really good idea. Giving is better than getting. Look at, look at the text. So it'll, it'll, Actually, I don't think it is going to be on the screen. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Listen to what he says. The context goes like this. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The Apostle Paul isn't just pointing to Jesus. Hey, remember Jesus had that really cool bumper sticker on the back of his camel about it's better to give than to receive? Hey, do you remember that great idea that Peter used to always say, it's better to give than to receive? It's one of those cool slogans that Christians have that we don't really live by. No, the Apostle Paul says, do you remember when I was with you? Like, do you remember how I worked and do you remember how I gave? Like, this is why we need to keep encouraging one another. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I love how the Apostle Paul couldn't use that statement from Jesus unless he could point to it in his own life. That's the difference. So many of us can just point back to Jesus. But Jesus acted in such a way that has now transformed us that you and I, just like the Apostle Paul, can say to our children for something as simple as leaving a tip, hey, remember Remember how I used to always tip? Why? Because we believe that it's more generous to give than it is to get. It's better to give than get, more blessed. But do you remember how we, when, when we were selling your car, we weren't trying to get the most out of it? Like we found that couple that was in need and hey, I'm all for getting the fair amount, but, but in the end we were kind of considering them too and not just us. But do you remember that? And why do we do that, son? We do that because remember what Jesus said? It is, it is more blessed to give than it is to get. And that's why we operate as a family the way that we do. That's why we operate as a church the way that we do. Because we believe those things about Jesus and it's not just going to be a bumper sticker on our car. It's actually going to be a testimony of our lives. Giving is better than getting. Number five, 
This is one of those ones that's kind of interesting. To increase our reward in heaven. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a great thing. Now, by the way, I know there's like a prosperity gospel that exists, particularly in our culture, but not just. It's around the world. Where there's always like a, the reason why I'm doing this is so that I can get something. The reason why I'm being kind to you is so that I can. The reason why I'm is so that I can. Now, now by the way, where it always works perfectly is where we give it to God. One of the reasons why I love this idea that we give because it increases our reward in heaven is because God is the only one I totally trust to always get this right. He's the only one I always trust. I, there, there's no way that you can fully know my heart. There's no that way you could fully understand why I'm giving. I mean, I get it. No human being can ever get that right. But God always gets it right. He always gets it right. And Jesus Christ himself said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't lay up treasures here, send them ahead. And, and here's what I love, is because I promise you, God is never gonna get in heaven and go, fine, I owe you. Ugh, you tricked me, you trickster. You totally knew how to work the system and I'm gonna give you a big reward because I saw what you gave in that one offering plate. You owe, you, you're right. Like that's never gonna happen. Like God knows the heart. God knows the heart fully. And God will reward your heart. Like how you give, God will reward. I promise you. And he's the only one that will get it 100% perfectly right. And it's one of my favorite thoughts about God is I can't wait to be in heaven and to watch God reward Mother Teresa. Can't wait. I think it's gonna be so much fun. Where God looks at her and she says, yeah, I did this for you. I love Jesus and that's why I did this. And God says, well, here's what I'm gonna give you. And he is just going to pour out. I'm not gonna be like mad or upset. I, I, I genuinely think this though, and she might even think it too. I think I'm going to go, oh, you know what I wish I would have done? Man, I wish I could relive those years again. You know what I wish I would have given? You know what I wish I would have done? Like in light of eternity now, like in light of now, like if you ever think, oh, if I could have only invested in Google. You ever thought, oh, if I had just known about Apple before it was Apple. Man, do you realize how my life would be better? Imagine heaven when God's giving out rewards. Oh, man, you know what I wish it would have done? See, God is going to perfectly, and I would even argue this, there is nothing wrong with giving and living and seeking God's blessing. Not some creepy preacher's promise of God's blessing, but God's blessing as described in the scriptures. Nothing wrong with that. And I strongly encourage you to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and to long for the day when Jesus Christ will reward. And he says in, in, in Matthew's gospel, and when you give in secret, God will reward you for that. Nothing wrong with looking forward to that day. Number six, should be no surprise, one of the reasons why Christians give is because others need it. <laughs> right, that's what's going on in 1 Corinthians 16. There are Christians in Jerusalem that are in need of money and you have money, so why don't you help them get food? Paul in the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 13 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
Now, what we have done in our day and age is we've taken that idea of hospitality and it's you being really friendly to your friends and inviting them over to your house. That's our new version of hospitality. Oh, you're so hospitable. You always invite your friends over. Jesus says, yeah, everybody invites people over that they love and care for and like hanging out with. But genuine godly hospitality is when you show kindness and when you care for the needs of people who really have no way to pay you back. That's, that's genuine biblical hospitality. And the Apostle Paul says, I just want you to be aware that there are others in tremendous need. And one of the things the church should do well is to look at the community that God has placed us in and say not how can we get them to somehow just be a part of us, but how can we serve them? How can we give to them? How can we give generously? How can we somehow in a way when they find out that we are the saints of God, that we are the holy ones of God, that they look at us and they don't see people who are miserly, people who are very calculating. What they actually see are generous people with everything that we have because that's who our dad is. There are others who have needs and so we give generously. Number seven, giving builds trust. One of the reasons why you should practice giving is because it builds trust. So particularly, like, right, many of us, like, going in the middle of this capital campaign are going, wow, like, I don't know how I'm going to give this. There are some people that have given some pretty big numbers. How are you going to give this? Well, we're just going to trust that God's going to take care of us. That's how we've done it. We're just going to believe that. Wow, that seems irresponsible. Abraham was credited with believing in God not because he knew exactly how it was going to play out, but he knew who was the one who was going to play it out for him. And it was credited to him as righteousness when he stepped out in faith and followed God, knowing that God would never abandon him. Never abandon him. It builds trust. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, because what do we trust? We trust ourselves. We trust our own ability um, to work hard and to save hard and to build. We, that's what we really trust. Paul says this to Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, which I think would be the majority of us, if not all of us, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. One of the reasons why I think there's so much fear in Christian people is because the only one they really trust is themselves. And if that's the best you can do, you're probably right to be afraid. You should start saying that to more people. Oh, really? You're trusting in yourself? Yeah, no, I get why you're afraid. If I were you, I'd be afraid too. I'm not asking people to put your hope in you or to put your hope in the market or to put your hope in, no, who do we put our hope in? That God will take care of us. That is why we give because it helps build trust that God will be the one to provide for me. Number eight, giving honors God. I love that. It honors him. That the gifts that we give, I know that people give gifts sometimes and it's like in honor of well, we give actually in honor of God. We look at how he has given us and the overflow of our lives is to give back generously. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine, very simple phrase. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the, with the first fruits of all of your produce. Like there's a sense that idea of first fruits is, is that you take off the first little bit and you give that away. 
You trustingly, you give that away, but you also give that away kind of honoring the one that gave it to you. And so often, the way that we work it is, we get everything that we have, or everything that we can, we see what's left over, and then we try to honor God with that. That's not a new idea. It's actually been going on since the very beginning. There were two brothers. Have you heard about this? Cain and Abel. And one of them kind of had more of a first fruits mentality. The other one seemed to have more of a last fruits mentality and it created envy between the two of them. See, to be a giving person is a way to honor God. Next, giving pleases God. The Bible talks about that as Christians, we should try to please him. Right now in our culture, um, we're, it's almost against any kind of mentality of pleasing God. We kind of credit all of it as self-righteousness. Oh, you're trying to impress God or you're trying to please God. There can be a dark side to that. But let me tell you, there is also a very good side to that. There is a side in which people who have received incredible gifts can actually look back at the one that gave it to them and said, I just want to give this back. I know you don't need it. I just, I, I, I know how much you love it when I do this, and I just want to please you. So much of our Christian thinking and our Christian doctrine and our Christian books is about getting and getting and getting and getting. And we have almost lost completely any kind of conversation where we genuinely find joy in pleasing God. Giving does that. For those of you that are parents know what I'm talking about. When you give something to one of your kids and then you see that child generously share it with others, it does something inside of you. And when you see a child that you've given some generous gift to and they just kind of hold it for themselves, it's mine, and they become this crazy me monster. If you're a good parent at all, you realize something is fundamentally, foundationally broken in this child. You do realize like God has so richly given to us and it pleases him when he sees us give to others. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16 Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I'm not talking about how can you impress God or earn his love, but I'm asking have you ever thought about how your giving or lack thereof either pleases, I think the reciprocal can also be true, I'm not saying he won't forgive you, but could also disappoint God. Could you be not giving? Could you be not sharing? Could you be not hospitable in a way where God looks at you just like you've looked at your child and thought, oh man, I just, I wish you got it. I wish you understood. Giving gives us an opportunity to please him. Number 10, this might be a surprise to many of you. One of the reasons why we should give, the Bible teaches, is to make friends. And let's be honest, some of us could use more of those. The Bible actually teaches this. I, I know that we say that. Well, you shouldn't try to buy friends. Well, actually, Jesus says you should. Yeah, no, I'm serious. This isn't like some kind of trick text. It's a text that we don't get. So we, we get confused by it. But Jesus tells a very interesting parable. Now, the parable is about why is it that you know how to do this in every area of life but spiritually? How many of you have heard of like networking? Anybody? Okay, just a few of you. It's a real popular thing, actually, that people just seem to naturally do because it just helps them. It helps them in business. It helps them in relationships. They just know how to work a room. They know how to work a system. They know how to work an office. They know how to work, right? 
Why is it, Jesus says, that you so get that in a worldly way, and yet you don't look at your life like that? You don't look at that your spiritual dimension like that. So he tells a story, and then he makes this bold statement. I tell you, make friends for you. This is actually in the Bible. Some of you are going to go, I don't think it's in the Bible. I promise you it is. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, meaning your money. So that when it fails you, your money, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Jesus says, you would do well to learn how to market yourselves with things that don't matter much like your money. And if you could learn how to leverage that so that people could see something different, you could be received into each other. He's not buying your way into heaven, but he's saying, why is it that you know how to network in some areas and then you don't know how to network in others? And Jesus is saying, it is not a bad thing to generously give to others so that they like you. Great text. Next, life is more than our possessions, which we know. Life is more than our possessions. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist out of the abundance of his possessions. And so since we know that our lives are worth more than the things that we have, we give generously. Number 12, it inspires others to give. It inspires others to give. One of the reasons why I think we should give generously is that others, people see that gift and they want to give too. In Acts chapter four, verse 36, we'll come upon this in our Acts series. Um, there is a famous story of a man named Barnabas who sells a field. And then right around that story, there's a number of other people that do the same thing. They look at the generosity of others and they feel like being generous themselves. There is just something contagious about generous people and generous giving. And so one of the reasons why we give, and by the way, Jesus actually says this, that in when we do good works, people give praise to God in heaven and it encourages them to do the same thing. So when other people see us give well, can you imagine what it would be like if the church, not just Sunnybrook, but the church in Stillwater was known by how we give, by how we buy and sell things, by how we tip, can you imagine if we just became known as those people that just had this heart in us? Would it not inspire others to do the same? Number 13, it decreases our love for worldly things. I'm the first one to admit, I can get really excited about temporary things, worldly things. Shiny objects impress me, I'll be honest with you. And one of the ways that I deal with that personally I love the words of one famous church leader a number of years ago that said, I try to get God's, or I try to get money out of my hands before it ever gets into my heart. By giving, it decreases the temptation of your fascination with worldly things. Jesus said one time to a man that asked, how can I get into heaven? And Jesus actually said to him, you lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said to the disciples, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And one of the reasons why is that when you have shiny objects, heaven doesn't seem that shiny to you. I promise you, the day will come where you will do a big, I can't believe I was thinking through that. But I promise you, in this life, it is easy, easy to become distracted. 
It is easy to fall in love with the things of this world and the temporary nature of this world. By being a generous giver of the things that we have, it decreases our love for the things of this world. Then likewise, it increases our love for the things of God. Number 14, it increases our love for the things of God. Again, you know Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One of the reasons why I want you to give to missions like Mexico is so you'll fall in love with the ministry of Mexico. One of the reasons why I want you to get involved and give your time and attention and efforts to what's happening with a whole bunch of college students that are going to be coming back is because you will care about kingdom work that is happening with college students. One of the reasons why I want us to give to ministries like Japan and to Poland is because why? Because I want us to fall in love with the ministry and the saints that live in Japan and Poland. It increases our love that when my, the things that matter to me most, my time, my resources, the more that they go in that direction, it pulls my heart in that direction. So if you ever want to love the things of God, invest in those things. And I promised you, you will find yourself loving the things of God. One of the reasons why a lot of us just don't really care that much or give that much, truly, is because I just don't know if I care. What do you care about? I promise you, I'll find your money and your time there. Lastly, loving and giving are inseparable. I genuinely believe that we can... We can um, we can give without loving. It's possible for you to give without loving. You might want to just give to that person on the street just so that you feel a little bit better about yourself or that they'll just go away. So you can actually give without loving. That probably even happened here today when we gave to Kingdom Work. I'm sure some of us just gave without even really thinking through it. You can give without loving, but here's one thing you cannot do. You cannot love without giving. You cannot love without giving. 1 John 3.17 says, if anyone has the world's goods and then sees a brother in need and then you close your heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And John's answer is it just doesn't. You can say all you want. You can say all you want about your love that you have, but a love that costs you nothing is not love. A love that does not give is not love. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us. And we are the people of God who genuinely and purposefully want to grow, not in giving, no, in our love and understanding and appreciation for who God is. And that will teach us to be generous giving people in all things. So this sermon had really no intention. We're not gonna take up an offering now. No, we already took up one. And we'll take up another one. But, but more so, I, I want you to leave here and realize like where you go to lunch and how you tip. Like how you, um, how you buy and sell and work out your week this week. How you even maybe even intentionally look for needs to answer or to help. That is a greater sign, greater sign of your walk with Jesus Christ, maybe anything else. So I pray that we go out and that Stillwater sees God's children living like him, amen? May we give like him, may we recognize everything that we have is from him, and may God alone receive the glory, amen?
Love you guys. God bless. And we will see you next week.